be with us again as we uh, round out and complete the book of the covenant this morning. Um, help us to see the beauty of Christ in this passage and let it affect us so that we are drawn to him and want to be more like him and reflect who he is and what he's done for us and the finished work of his cross. Thank you for those uh, in this group and their hunger to hear your word and to apply it. I pray that you increase their love for one another and increase their love for your word and for you, most importantly. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, we are in Exodus 23, starting in verse 10. And we've come to the final section of the book of the covenant. Remember, the book of the covenant is the uh, descriptive um, law that is based on the prescriptive law, the Ten Commandments. Prescriptive being the eternal law that reflects that God has revealed who He is and, and, and those ten words, those ten testimonies to His nature. And the descriptive law is the, um, the way that the, the, the covenant community is to reflect the nature of God in that time and space um, here. So here we are at the very end of it. And curiously, this last part starts with the land. So let's look at verse 10. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field, what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread, As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year shall all your males appear appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. What an odd way to end. It's a little warm, but that's not unusual. Um, what do you do with this? Why do we have this rule, this command, about leaving the land fallow the seventh year? 
What's the purpose of that? Does Mother Nature need a break? God's recognizing the deity of the earth here and giving her a rest. Is that what's going on? It's more like provision for his people, for the poor and for the animals. So it's a welfare system. In a way, yes. Isn't that interesting? How would that work, you think? You'd have to stagger your fields so that you'd know what he eats for a whole year. <laughs> you waited all of your fields. You'd... I think that's what's going on. I mean, I don't think that I don't think that there is, um, and I wasn't able to find a, a chart on this, but um, I think that's the way they had to do it. Every every field was staggered, so that number one. You didn't have to store up for six years and one year just completely live off of what you stored up. That would be very Joseph-like. Um, but two, that it, it allows the poor to eat all year long, or, or, or every year all year long, <laughs> lucky them, uh, for, for every year. There's some field that they can go and glean. What um, we, we garden a little bit, and... Uh, we have these four by four boxes that we garden in, and sometimes uh, we don't plant in the box, and it goes through a season. And uh, inevitably, especially in the tomato boxes, these little shoots will come up of these like spontaneously growing things. I don't. Well, what would happen when a when a field is fallow for a year? What happens? If it's not being planted, well, weeds will grow. So it's not intentional growth that year. It's lying fallow. So what are the poor depending on? Always a good answer in Sunday school. But in this case, I would say God's provision for them in the fallow ground. He's going to make the seed grow. right? He, well, he does anyway, but there's no intentionality of it. God provides for the poor in the fallow ground. They're, they're not intentionally seeding it. They're not intentionally fertilizing it. They're letting it just happen, and the poor are gleaning from that. Go ahead. Is ten percent, but one seventh is fourteen percent. So it's it's kind of that's kind of a hefty percentage. You're talking about for the for the landowner. So you've got you've got well now there's a cost to both sides here. That's that's the next step I was going to. You're anticipating good. Uh, there's a cost to both sides. the The welfare system here is a you, you're not getting gain off of that piece of land for that year. There's a if Clint were here, he'd tell us the marginal rate. Um, there's a 14%, I guess, is what you're saying. So then there's another cost to the other side, too. What's that cost? Even if you did get gain, you could get, have to get the first fruit. Okay, and that's, yes. What about the poor? They have to go harvest it. They have to either plant and harvest or just go gather. They've got to go work for it. Work. It's not... Uh, automatically credited to their Star of David card. They are, they are immediately in the workforce 
for their own good, right? They have to go gather. It's there. It's provide. They are relying upon the provision of God in the fallow year, but they got to go get it. What does that tell you about God? What does that tell you about man? God cares for all of his people. Okay. God cares for all of his people. If he cares enough for the sparrows, then he cares enough for us. He's also not They're still responsible. They have to go work for it. We also are obligated. We also are obligated to work. Is that what you're saying? How do we know that in the New Testament terms? What 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 how what would you James look towards? James. Okay, there's that physical aspect of it. If you don't work, you don't eat. I mean, we're also obligated to make provisions for those for the poor. Okay, and the other side of it, we're to be givers. We're to make we're to um, to our hurt, provide for those who are um, needy. This is like working out your own Aha, good. Yes. What does Philippians say? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who provides for you the ability to work. For it is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. The physical reflects the spiritual. Because it's a unity thing. We talked about that on Friday, didn't we? Um, and you see it that, that principle here. God is using a physical um, uh, law, a, a provision for the poor, to also display something about how uh, we work while he is working, because he is working. Now, this law is, um, is fleshed out later in Leviticus 25, which we will get there eventually if the Lord tarries and the crick don't rise. Um, there's two reasons for this fallow year. First, it's humanitarian. We talked about that. The needy may eat. And what's the other benefit here? The animals. Does that seem odd? Why would, why would God make provision for the animals? Well... The, 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 these are wild beasts, though. I'm trying to think of wild beasts that eat vegetation. The bunnies. You need to have bunnies. But does that strike you as odd? First man, then the animals. Whatever's left over that the poor don't gather, left for the wild beasts. I just think that's interesting. I don't know if there's a theological issue there, other than he's good to all of his creation. Yeah, he's just providing for his creation. And that says something uh, pretty significant, I would think. Um, all right. Look at verse 12. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Why? What's the purpose given here for a Sabbath rest? The ox and the donkey may have rest. That's interesting. What else? So you've got the ox and the donkey getting a rest. 
for Sabbath, and the son of your servant, and the who? The The alien. Do you see a parallel? Don't make a comment. Do you see a parallel between verses 10 and 11 and this one in 12? Do you see a parallel? Rest for whom? For everyone. Okay. I, there's kind of a, a parallel here. You have the needy in verses 10 and 11 paralleled with the servant and the alien. And then you have the wild animals in verses 10 and 11 paralleled with the ox and the donkey. All get rest. And the land gets rest. The land gets rest every seven years. But the basic function of the Hebrew calendar is rest on that seventh day. Where did that come from? Creation. The creative order. What else? Is there something, oh, I don't know, prescriptive that we could point to? The Sabbath. To which we could point. There, I do it again. The Sabbath. Sabbath Fourth commandment. Exactly. Um, Keep it holy. Why? Why is? Uh, what is the? What is God trying to? What is God commanding them to achieve here for the servant, the alien, the ox, and the donkey? What is the word at the end of the verse that lets you know what's going on here? Refreshed. Refreshed. That word's only used three times that I'm aware of in the um, in, in the um, Pentateuch, um, and one. Um, refers to God being refreshed on the seventh day of creation. And it's later, we'll see that in, um, in, in Exodus 32, I believe. He was refreshed. What do you see there? The creative order, the fourth commandment, the fourth testimony to his nature, be refreshed, I give you rest. This is a day of rest for man, for animals, for the needy. Everybody gets a rest. Um... And it's grounded in who he is. It's modeled on his nature, right? All of it is a reflection of him. And we see it again here in this Sabbath uh, command. There are a bunch of Sabbath commands in the Bible, um, or in the, in the first five books. This is one that points to the needy and, the, and animals um, as well. All right, look at verse 13. It's an odd insertion in this discussion of the land, don't you think? There's a specific reason why he's doing all this, and it's for his name's sake. Okay. He's doing it to care for his people. Pay attention to all that I have said to you. Other translations use the word guard these commands that I have given you. Subdue, increase, guard, keep. Guard what I have given you. Uh, and make no mention of the names of other gods. Um, other translations would say, do not remember other gods. Forget them. Nor let it be heard on your lips. Why is this here? Yeah. He's not sufficient. 
why are we letting the land go fallow for the seventh year? Because I could be making money with this. Maybe. But this is kind of a overarching deal, isn't it, with all these laws that we've been talking about for the past several weeks? This is a pretty big statement here. Uh, there's a word we've used before. Um, it's, the smart folks use it. It's called inclusio. Uh, how did the Book of the Covenant begin? Do you remember the, the first command? What was the first thing that God referenced? Right after the end of the Ten Commandments, he goes into the Book of the Covenant and he says something. Verse um, 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 22, maybe. I'd just take a gander. What does it say? Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, you have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. How does he start? You should have no other gods. No other gods before me. How does this end? Don't fall beyond goat and mother. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. It's all part of the same thing, but but this 13. It, it's, it ends, the inclusio is, no other gods before me. It's the same idea. And it, it creates bookends too. And then he fleshes that out. How? 14 through 19. What does God provide for them so that they... Obey, verse 13. Ebenezer's. Ebene- remembrances. Um, in what form? Feasts and holidays. Feasts? Feasts. <laughs> Bread and feasts. It's feasts. It's, it's very, it's efficient, that word. Um, bread and feasts. Uh, what, uh, what is a feast? Describe that. what that would look like for me. Well, Okay. A gathering of people. <sighs> Lord, my load is heavy. Um, a celebration. A gathering of people, a celebration. Yeah. Right. They're, they're, they do something to help them remember right. where they came from and what God did. But. He institutes a tradition of, of, of sacrifice, yet celebration in the sacrifice, doesn't he? What's the first feast? Now, he says, as I commanded you before, what is he referring to? To what is he referring? Good night. Passover. They were to uh, eat unleavened. What is unleavened bread? It's flatbread, isn't it? It's not tortillas. Um, it's more of a whole wheat kind of thing. So you have uh, 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 this this non-leavened bread. This is a non-leavened bread in the English form of non. Um, 
that was removed, all the leaven was removed from the house. Now, we talked about what that represented. What, what did, uh, it was a sin. It was a picture of removing sin from the house. And it was seven days of this non-leavened bread, culminating in what? What was the ultimate Passover feast? feast. What's involved in Passover feast? Sacrifice Sacrifice of a lamb. And they were to remember this, why? Of the Exodus. All right. Um, this feast of unleavened bread also tied to the to the barley harvest that begins in the month of Abib. It says that's March to April, uh, and during this feast, offerings must be brought to Yahweh, or else they cannot enter into the celebration. Why are they bringing sacrifices to God during Passover, during the feast of unleavened bread? What what does that demonstrate? All about the Exodus, we're bringing sacrifices to God. Why would we do that? Thankfulness, maybe, for saving them? Okay, good. So this is an expression of thankfulness for their redemption from Egypt. Second feast, known as uh, the Feast of the Harvest, or feast, uh, the Harvest Feast, uh, it, also known as the Feast of Weeks. Greek-speaking Jews called it Pentecost. Does that sound familiar? Um, That's a denomination. Because the festival is to be celebrated 50 days after the Sabbath of the Passover. And it's also to be held seven weeks of the day after the sickle has first been put into the grain. What's the purpose of this feast, this um, Feast of the Harvest? What happens? God's provision, what are they to do here? First fruits of the labor. The first fruits of the labor. The best first fruits of the labor, good. And so the very best of the first of your harvest, what does that demonstrate? It shows that it's all God's because if you're giving back to him, it's because he provided and gave to you. Okay. Yeah. But you're you're giving the first, trusting that he will provide. This is an this is an act of faith, this feast. You take the first harvest, the first fruits of your harvest, you give them to God, trusting that the rest of the season will be productive and you're not left holding the bag. That's an act of faith. You're, you're to rest in the promise of his future provision. It recognizes that Yahweh is the provider of the fruit of labor. He makes it meaningful, and in a very concrete sense here, he makes it grow. So he deserves the first fruits of the produce, and not just the first fruits, the best of it. What's the third feast? In gathering, also known as the Feast of the Tabernacles or Booths. We will discuss the uh, particulars of all these feasts um, in Leviticus, but basically they are 
not living in their permanent houses or living in tents for a week. Um, what, what is this for? What does it say? It's like the end of the year feast to thank him for a good year that you had. So at the beginning, we trust that he provides. At the end, we thank him for providing. The final harvest, that's what it's celebrating. And yet, notice that it also has with it a sense of the temporary. They're living in these temporary houses during this week. It's a final harvest. It's all resolved, and yet we're acknowledging in this passage that it is, they're still living, they're remembering their wilderness wanderings, the exile, the, 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 um, the time of being a sojourner. Um, they are to rest in God's final provision, but they're also to rest in his provision during exile or during sojourning. And so in, the, in each of these three feasts, you, I just want to make a note of this, you have every male is to be presented before me. That is a um, term of art <laughs> for whole households. The man was representative as the head of the house. The whole household was to be presented. Um, and then it ends, this book of the covenant, with four quick commands. The blood of the sacrifice is not to be mixed with leavened bread. And that's pushing what was given in the Passover command back in, in um, early in Exodus 13 to all these feasts. Second, the fat of the sacrifice was to be consumed before the break of the next day. It also uh, applying what was important in the Passover to the rest of the feast. Third, they were to bring the choicest of the fruits to Yahweh. We've talked about that, uh, and that was probably referencing during the Feast of the Harvest. And then there is this final command. Don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. And now I want to be clear with you. That, that's talking about a goat. Um, why is this here? <laughs> what purpose does this serve to end the book of the covenant on don't boil a kid in its mother's milk. It's a pagan thing. Study note Bible. I, I, I'm, I'm gathering. You all have thick Bibles this morning. It's, I guess. It, um, <laughs> what pagan ritual are we talking about here? Something in Canaan about uh, fertility. They would do that. To, uh... This is a fertility rite of the Canaanites, and God says, "Don't do this." It loops back to know the gods before me. This is how you celebrate and remember and trust my provision, not through Canaanite rituals. Right? What's also, some have made this comment or noticed this issue about it. What is, a signific, what is the significance of it being in mother's milk? What is mother's milk used for? What is goat milk used for, other than creamer in your coffee? For, uh, for it is... It is a, a substance that gives life to the kid in which it is being, which is being boiled in it. Don't use something that is used for life to make death. Now, wouldn't that be interesting in the abortion debate? Isn't that also a pagan ritual? Um, I'll be fertile when I want to be. Um, so here you have this ending 
on no other gods before me, don't even mention their name, and certainly don't adopt their rituals. Trust me, trust my provision. He's calling them to be distinct. Come out from among them. Don't be like them. Worship me in the way that I prescribe for you. Don't try to add anything else. Does that make sense? No, that, that's what the whole section is about. Yep. Because the culture that came out of from Egypt, they're used to relying on other gods for crops. They have a god for this and that. Mm-hmm. All the other things. And so God's pointing out, don't have any other gods. You should rely on me. And these are the ways to celebrate that you're just relying on me. And notice that each of these is based upon the principle of the Sabbath. It's a seven-day cycle in each of these feasts. And they were to rest in each of these elements of remembrance of God. All right. We've talked about the Feast of Unleavened Bread and that it is associated also with the Passover. It's a celebration of the Exodus. So I was thinking through these three feasts. Um, Something struck me. There's an order here. What are they remembering in the Feast of Unleavened Bread? They're remembering their redemption done on their behalf by God, where wrath was averted by means of a sacrificial lamb. They are to rest in the redemption that God has provided. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. As you really are unleavened. What is he saying there? Removal of sin in the house. He's pointing back to this provision of removing leavened bread out of the house. And he's saying, be who you are. Be who you already are because of what God has done for us in Christ. Why? For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. What was prescriptive for Israel... Uh, descriptive for Israel, is prescriptive for us. We're to have rest in what God has done and what He alone has done and can do for us in Christ. We are justified by faith alone in Christ. Rest in His redemption. Peace of the harvest. Um, Also known as Pentecost. What significance does that have in New Testament terms? The Holy Spirit comes upon the 120 in the upper room. Uh, Jesus says in Luke 24, 49, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The promise of my Father. Um, In Him... Uh, you have, you also have, uh, obten- uh, you ha- also have received the Spirit, who is the promise, who is the guarantee of the promise of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Ephesians 1, 13, 14, paraphrased. Um, again, it's a first fruits promise. The Spirit comes on Pentecost. The Spirit is given to us in regeneration, when we're made new, born again, as a first fruit, a promise, a guarantee of what we will receive in the last harvest 
And so we are to rest in His promise. What is the Spirit doing in us? What is, what is the work of the Holy Spirit in us? It's to remind us of what Jesus said. Okay. It's to testify of Christ. What else? It's to reveal all things to us. Okay. Wisdom. Yes. What else? To guard our salvation. To guard us in what way? Guard our salvation. Via the Word of God. Okay. Making the Word active in us to um, move us to look more like Jesus through sanctification is a big $10 word we use. To make us more holy. Remove Not the remove the leaven. To purify us as he is pure. It's, a, it's an, an ongoing thing. We uh, strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord because we have a promise. Right? We're acting on the promise and he has been given to us to, as part of the promise. Holy Spirit is the first fruit of that. And we're to rest in that promise. What promise? What, what about the Feast of Ingathering? Turn to Matthew 13. Try to wrap this up quickly here. The celebration of the final harvest. In verse 24, he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. The final harvest in New Testament terms, is his return. The end of all things. And yet there's a dual purpose in that feast. They recognize the temporary nature of where we are. There's an end coming. There's a harvest coming. But right now we're exiles. These are temporary homes, tents or booths. But we look to a heavenly city whose builder is God. That's our final resting place. That's our final home. And in the meantime, we are to rest in and celebrate his provision during our exile. 1 Peter 2, 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. We fight because of the promise that he has already won the war. We continue to fight to look like Him, because He's given us His Spirit to do so. So we rest in His redemption, we rest in His promise, and we rest in His provision until He comes. We are commanded to rest in the fight. Commanded to rest.
Are we resting? Are we relying on him alone? Are we trying to do it through self-effort, self-means, self-righteousness, all that stuff that kills the soul? Are we satisfied in Christ? Is he enough? Any comments? Kevin, I like looking at the, the Old Testament and the New Testament and seeing the connections and seeing the, the culmination mm-hmm. because it, it shows that God is in control of everything. It solidifies mm-hmm. our faith in him because he started it and he's going to finish it. And right. we've, we've seen it halfway done, and we know that we can trust him and have faith in him because we know that he's in control because everything that he said was purposeful. Um, there is a clear thread here. The pictures that he paints in the Old Testament um, are just, I'm, I am again bowled over uh, uh, time after time. The, the, the clarity and, and, the, and the directness of the pictures that he gives in the Old Testament to the coming of Christ and the church and what's going on now. Um, it's, it's pretty incredible that a book written over, what, a span of 1,500 years or more, uh, 40-something authors, different time periods, some different nationalities, even pagan kings contributed to it at some point, and yet the story's the same. It's not Aristotle. Anyway, any other comments that are helpful? <laughs> I was trying to think of the parallel of the young goat being boiled in his mother's milk. Uh-huh. What does your study Bible say? To Jesus, but that same okay. It says the reason for this role is not made explicit here or in the other places where it's repeated. Yeah. So, hey, give her, kill the light giver. No, because um, Jesus yes. is the ultimate lamb. Mm. Um, so I'm thinking he's the young go there, the mother's milk, I think could be talking about this, the book of the covenant, the law that he just laid out, mm-hmm. because these things give life, like Haman was saying, the mm-hmm. mother's milk gives life, and we shouldn't be killing Jesus by misusing these laws that he's just given us. Okay, that's, that's interesting uh, thought, I don't, yeah, okay, I mean, I, maybe. maybe, I think there's a lot, there's a lot you could do with that. Uh, but you're right. The text doesn't really spell out why. Uh, yeah. I, I was just thinking uh, along the lines of being thankful for the first fruits. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, either we tend to be prideful or we tend to beat ourselves up instead of when we might normally would have gotten angry about something and God gave us the ability to have self-control mm-hmm. to stop and to thank God for that, for that first fruit mm-hmm. that He is working in us, knowing that we're still not perfect, we're not going to react correctly, mm-hmm. we're not going to act in a Christ-like way every time. Mm-hmm. But those little things that He works in us to give thanks for those, knowing that He is working toward an end goal, but that those are first fruits of the Spirit working in us. Mm-hmm. So thankful that there's a battle, yeah, and that he is working, and you and can see. That there's progress, even if it's not. Even if it's scattershot. Kevin, yes. We're supposed to like with what Ty was saying. I think, I think that's very applicable to today because we're, especially as Christians, are supposed to to give life. We're supposed to speak the sure. word of God and proclaim it okay. promiscuously to everybody. But when we take the the breath that God has given us, the tongue that He's given mm-hmm. us. 
and the mind that he's given us, and we use that to proclaim ourselves, mm. to downplay this, to not speak it, then we're, we're using our tongue yeah. to spread death as opposed to life. Sure. And, and both of those are great principles. I just I'm, I get a little antsy when, when we try to start using text to do that. I mean, th- those those are statements that are made elsewhere in Scripture. I don't know that you can get that from necessarily boiling a kid in its mother's milk. But it is there for a reason. Well, yes. No, no, no. And and the other thought I had, as you were saying, is we should not use the law to try to give life to us either. Because if, if the milk if the milk is in your analogy, which is what what this is an allegorical application of this, um, if that's the law, then then it brings death to us. Yeah, that's true. Well, if it's understood correctly through Jesus that he mm-hmm. is the he fulfilled it, and yeah, it's imputed to us. Sure. As if, as if we fulfilled it perfectly. Yes. Yeah. True. I I don't know. I just I. I get a little nervous sometimes when we start trying to force more stuff in. The School of Alexandria would love an application like that. <laughs> but I don't know that uh, the guys in Jerusalem would have really appreciated that. I so, do believe in faith by works. You do? Jesus. Christ works, yes. I, that's good. Any other non-debatable, no, I'm any other, uh, <laughs> any other comments? All right, let's, uh, let's, let's pray and, and be dismissed. Thank you guys for being here. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is an onion with many layers and that we can peel and peel and peel and there's more depth there every time we look. What a grace it is to have the gospel message so simple that a child can understand it and yet so deep that we could spend eternity pondering its depths. Thank you for your church. Thank you for the gift of the means of grace that we have in studying your word and praying together and holding each other accountable and building each other up and all the things and functions that we have here move toward one goal, that one day Christ will return and we will be made like him for we will see him as he is. Grow that hope in our hearts that we will strive all the more to not be ashamed at his appearing. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.